Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. My guest today is Laura Carney. I first heard about Laura's story on the NBC Nightly News. When Laura was 25, her dad, Mick, was killed in an auto accident when a driver ran a red light while talking on her cell phone. Several years later, Laura discovered her late father's bucket list and set out on a mission to complete it. Hi, Laura. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Congratulations on your book, which publishes June 13th, just a few days before Father's Day. And when I heard about this book on the news, I thought it was a fun project for you, but also such a meaningful tribute to your late dad. How about we begin with you telling us all how you discovered your dad's bucket list? Sure. Wow. Thank you so much. I discovered it when I was visiting my brother in 2016. My brother had just bought his first house and I had just gotten married and he was about to get married himself and he had found it during his move. And he asked me, did you know about this? And, you know, I I describe it as one of those flashbulb moments in your life where it's just something appears and you know immediately that you need to do what this thing is describing right in front of you. And As soon as I saw it, I just knew that I was going to have to finish it. Laura, how long was the list? It was about 60 items long. And what we couldn't get over is that it appeared that he'd been checking it off his whole life. He had checked off five of the items and marked one as having failed at. And he had done it in different colored pens. So, And my brother actually remembered the time that he checked off go to a World Series game. And your dad wrote the bucket list when he was how old? When he was 29, actually, I found out later because my mom did know about it. Um, He wrote it in 1978, soon after I was born. Did you and your dad have a close relationship? Yeah, we were really close. You know, despite the fact that my parents divorced when I was six and I saw him twice a week, I think we were kindred spirits in a way. I mean, I'm a writer. He was a writer. We just had a lot in common. I know there were some pretty daunting things on the list swim across a river, play a number one seat in tennis, ride a horse fast, surf in the Pacific. Oh, yeah. I mean, and some seemingly impossible, like, you know, talk with the president or correspond with the pope. And, you know, I, I had multiple people telling me when I said I was going to do this thing that, you know, this can't be done. There are so many things on here that there's no way. And even some of the most daunting ones, I often would find once I was in the process of pursuing a list item, it just never turned out the way I thought it was going to be. Like there was always something that would show up at the very end that would help me that I couldn't have prepared for. That happened when we met Jimmy Carter. You know, I I actually went down to Plains, Georgia, only on the advice of someone who had emailed me. And they'd seen me in an interview and they said, you know, if any president will do, you should know that Jimmy Carter still teaches Sunday school every weekend in Plains, Georgia. And once I got there, You know, I had a private tour from someone he worked with at the Carter Center. So I had that, but I didn't really have any guarantees whatsoever that I was going to actually be able to talk with him. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just look at a president or be in his vicinity. It was have a conversation with him. And 
We just by pure chance ended up at our hotel that night, the same time as one of his biographers. And I ended up hitting it off with him. And I talked with him for about three hours, just about Jimmy Carter. And he put in a good word for us. We think we don't, we still don't even know to this day what he said (laughs) to him because we've actually ended up becoming really good friends with him. And, you know, that's really been another one of the great gifts of this project is that as mind-blowing as some of these experiences were living out my dad's dreams for him, I also was forming these connections with people. And, you know, sometimes it was a stranger who became a friend like Arthur Milnes did that weekend. And sometimes it was people in my family or, you know, friends, uh, you know, people I already had a bond with, but who maybe didn't know my dad, or now I have a stronger bond with because they did something that was, you know, they were sort of channeling him for me, or, you know, I guess maybe I was channeling him. Did your brother have any interest in joining you on this list? He told me from the from the very beginning, he was excited about it and would support me in everything that I did. And he did do one of the list items. No, he did two of the list items with me, actually, because he was there on our London trip, too. You know, it wasn't something that I think he needed to do. And I didn't know I needed to do it either. I When I started out doing it, it actually was because I had been an activist and I felt like I this would be a very positive way to bring attention to distracted driving. And it didn't occur to me that the reason I had such a, a soul heart response to seeing this list was because I actually was carrying around a lot of grief still that I needed to find a way to cope with and, you know, a way to express my love for my father. And I think it's kind of almost to say goodbye to him in a way that made more sense to me. And I just, I don't know that my brother had that same need. So he, I think, was happy to sort of support me from the sidelines in a way. How did you attack the list? You know, a a list with 60 items on it, (laughs) some some quite daunting and quite honestly, expensive to do. So how did you make this work? (laughs) How did you plan this out? Well, you know, my mom had just given us a wedding gift. (laughs) Like I said, we had just gotten married and She had hoped, I think, that the wedding gift would go as a down payment towards the house. And so I had just come into a little bit of money in that regard. And I don't think she was thrilled about me spending it on my dad's dreams. (laughs) And not not that she wasn't in favor of them, just that it wasn't what she had expected. I understand. Yeah. So that was sort of like some seed money that I could use. And then after that, you know, the first things just happened very organically. I had already signed up to train for a marathon and one of the list items was run 10 miles straight. So I did that one first. One of them was visit LA. We had already been to LA. The marathon was in LA. Then it was one of the list items said, get my picture into a national magazine. And as soon as I started the project, I shared my blog with one of my editors at Good Housekeeping. And she had already agreed to publish an article about distracted driving and when she saw the blog, she said, no, we need to make this more personal. And they they really, they just made the whole three-page feature about me and about my list and my dad's list. And they put a picture of him in it. So it was just a lot of like beginner's luck, I think. I think that happens to people when they set out to do something new and challenging. You will have the universe sort of having your back and it will support you. And then you start getting into some of the trials <laughs> and then things start to get a little bit more difficult because I think I was meant to, you know, as, as anyone would be when you're trying a brand new thing like that, you're meant to learn and you're meant to grow from it. So after about the end of year one, things started to get a little more complicated. And that was when I finally sat down with my Google calendar and I just 
one night I just mapped everything out and I thought, okay, well, where, where does it make sense in the year that we're going to be traveling? Because there were definitely eight different travel destinations on the list and, you know, it would be my birthday or it would be an anniversary. So I, I sort of just did a rough draft of how I thought it would go. And, you know, at that point in time, I had just planned a wedding. I had run a couple of different half marathons. I was getting accustomed to mapping things out in that way. And and I think probably my job helped too, because when you work for a monthly magazine, it's like every month things are going to go a little crazy. You think you're going to have certain deadlines that you meet, but then it's always going to change because you don't know when an editor is going to get you something. So I think because I had been doing that for a decade, you know, I had a very flexible concept of time, (laughs) I would say. And it it helped me because that's just, that's how the list was. Like there was always going to be last minute changes that had to happen. And I had to sort of just roll with it. And it took six years to complete the list. Is that correct? Yeah, even that, even that's a perfect example because I thought I could do it in four years, which I'm sure your listeners are like, wait, 54 items in four years? That sounds like a lot. (laughs) Well, especially when you have to learn new skills for some of them. Yeah, I mean, that actually worked out well for me though because fortunately, a lot of the sports and things that my dad wanted to do were things he had coached me in and that I was I already did or was already interested in anyway. So I had a proclivity for some of them. Some of them were things that, you know, I mean, I think people always say things like, oh, I wish I'd never given up on piano. And, you know, so it was really delightful for me to go back and revisit that. You know, I, I bought a keyboard and now I'm learning piano again. And A lot of them were things like that. You know, I I loved tennis growing up. And so it was fun to revisit that in a more competitive sense. Let me tell you, Laura, when I read that one of the bucket list items was to shoot a 72 in golf, I was very depressed because I, (laughs) I have played golf for a lot longer than six years and am nowhere close to a 72. So I especially enjoyed that story in the book. Yeah, well, as you read, it took I took some poetic license <laughs> sometimes. I noticed that. Did you yeah. have did you have a favorite list item that you did? Oh gosh, it's so hard to choose just one. I bet. Some of the ones that he wrote were just so sweet, you know, like give my kids the best example, best education and most love I can give or you know, he wrote about my mother that he wanted to make her feel happy, healthy, pretty and young every day of her mm. life. And, you know, I, I think that probably my two, you know, the two that that made me grow the most that are my favorite are the trip to Vienna. And one of them was write and have a few novels published, of course, because that, you know, it turned me into an author and it made me someone who's able to travel to Europe alone. And I had never done that before. So those were big adventures for me that really stretched me. But I think probably the most important one is the one that I applied to my spouse, which is, you know, even though it was for my mom, I applied it to my husband, make my husband feel happy, handsome, healthy, and young every day of his life. Because going into this as a newlywed, it was a little bit of an unusual venture. And I don't know if I hadn't found this list if I would have even been thinking about my marriage that way, Mm -hmm. thinking about, well, what can I do to make sure that he's happy and that he feels healthy, you know, that he feels young. And the fact that I had this little nudge from my dad to do that, I think made a big difference in in how our marriage is going. How did you feel when you saw the two items on the list, sing at my daughter's wedding and dance at my grandchildren's wedding? Oh, it was heartbreaking because, I'm sure. yeah, I mean, we had just gotten married and 
that, that was one of the first ones I actually wrote about on my blog because I felt like we had already done it for him because the way we celebrated him at my wedding was we actually had this bottle of wine that he had bought around the time I was a baby. He was a liquor distributor then. And he went out to uh, Robert Mondavi Vineyard in California and he bought this bottle and he brought it back and he wrote on it, the finest wine America has made to open on Lara's wedding day. Mm. And, you know, like he joked with me for most of my childhood, like, you know, did your mom drink it yet? (laughs) He was really funny. That was one of his standout qualities. And of course she had it. And it turned out actually that she, you know, in, in the end, she kept it for 38 years, moving three different times. And I was really upset thinking about the wedding and imagining him not being there. And she had the idea that we should bring this wine to New Mexico where we were getting married. And it was, you know, it was a small wedding, luckily. So with 30 people, everybody could have a sip of it. And it was funny because like leading up to the wedding, we were all sort of unsure, is it going to be any good? (laughs) (laughs) I wondered that actually, as you were talking. Like, like, you know, is this the kind that ages well? Is everyone going to get sick? And and I think probably for me, that was, it was a metaphor because I looked at myself as an older bride because here I was 38 and now I was finally getting married, even though I'd been with the same man for 13 years. I mean, my my husband actually had just started dating me this summer. My dad died and he met him five days before he died. So yeah, I, I think when it turned out that the wine actually really was the finest wine America had made. I mean, it was like the best wine I'd ever had. I kind of just decided that that meant that my dad did get to sing at my wedding. Laura, you wrote somewhere, finishing off the list of a dead man has taught me a lot about how to be alive. How did you feel doing all these new things? Has it inspired you to get out of your safety zone more? I'm a big proponent of doing new things, not like these. These are really big things. I'm a proponent <laughs> of doing little things, and I know how much that helps me. But how did you feel doing all these new big things? I'm just laughing at how dramatic I sound sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I mean, that part that you mentioned, dead man, I mean, as melodramatic as it sounds, it, it's important because... When I would approach some of these items, especially the scarier ones, for me, some of the scary ones were the more physical ones, like swimming the width of a river, which ended up being in a river with a very swift current or surfing in the Pacific Ocean where I wiped out, you know, I think 20 times. I don't know. Every time I tell that story, the number of times gets bigger. (laughs) And that's so my dad's influence too. But every time I would do something like that and I would be genuinely afraid for my life, I mean, I went skydiving too. I would think to myself, you know, if I were my dad, how would he approach this? Because it's his list, you know, it's his dreams. And I would think, boy, first of all, he'd be really happy to be alive. You know, it, he probably really loved being alive. And and I think as uh, I, I experience him now as in spirit and as someone who's pure love and, you know, is looking out for me. And I think really more than anything else, regardless of whether I'm doing some kind of crazy daredevil stunt or I'm just checking off being kind to my husband, I think what he would want me to do is to remember that life is a gift and it's not a given, you know, like I need to cherish each day that I have here and learning that I think 
you know, the biggest change in me was that I started using my time so much more wisely. I started prioritizing how I spent my time in a different way because now it's become much more valuable to me. And I also, it, it totally changed the way I looked at his death for a very long time. You know, I would look at it as, oh, I was robbed of having my dad be here for all these major moments in my life. And now I look at it as he never went anywhere. He's always been here. I mean, he's, if I look at the empty spot on the stairs and the picture at my wedding, or remember the empty seat at that table at the reception, I mean, really these things are just a matter of how we look at them. And I, I can't live my life as though somehow I've been robbed of something because, you know, then it's like you can't really move forward that way. So instead, now I look at what I can appreciate about what's going on around me all the time. And, and I'm a much more joyful person. I love that perspective. Have you done your own bucket list? I am. Yeah, I have about, I think about 20 items checked off of 100. I really need to stop adding to it because it's a problem. <laughs> you know, I read an article, it's been a couple of years, by a writer, Lori Stone, and she was not an advocate of a bucket list, but she advocated a teacup list, which I thought was a brilliant idea. So she has a teacup list for the summer where you might list that you want to watch the fireflies, eat popcorn at a baseball game, go to a drive-in movie, sleep in the backyard in a tent, little things. Because mm -hmm. like with your bucket list and your dad's bucket list, time goes by fast and we keep putting things off and the time is gone. So she says this way, it doesn't get to be August and time for those kids to go back to school. And she thinks, I haven't done so many of the things we wanted to do over the summer. So since I read that article, I've started kind of a mental teacup list. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think I think lots of people have goals or dreams or experiences. I mean, I really, in the end, I think that's what my dad's list was. It was, he wrote things I would like to do in my lifetime. So more than anything else, it was just about experiences he'd like to have. And oftentimes if we get to step one, which is writing them down, I mean, that's an accomplishment in itself. But step two is taking the, you know, the effort to actually do these things I think it's a courageous act in a way because you're owning your life and you're owning the way you spend your time. And, you know, one thing I, I feel like people don't always understand is for me, this experience was about the journey. You know, the real like meat of it was just being in it and feeling like I was living this out. It wasn't, you know, how am I going to feel when I get to the finish line and I've checked off all 54 items? I mean, yeah, that did the notion that I wanted to finish that helped me a lot with getting through it. But at some point I did realize, no, it's this, it's this whole experience of being present and being in it. Like that's the real gift because I really had to learn how to cultivate that. There wasn't ever any time where I felt like, oh God, I don't feel like doing this anymore. You know, like this is, this is really a chore that never actually happened, but it definitely was something that I had to learn how to do to just be present when things maybe weren't going the way I wanted them to go because I think we're living in a culture right now where it's like, you know, us having lots of things going on at once and wanting things to just happen right away. Like that's what's more the norm. Well, again, your book out June 13th, My Father's List, How Living My Dad's Dreams Set Me Free. You've started a charitable fund with the book proceeds going to the Michael J. Carney Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I set an intention in my first year of doing the list that I wanted to 
I had no idea if I was going to be able to publish the story about it, if anybody would buy it, you know, whatever was going to come of this. But if I did, if I was successful with that, I wanted to donate half of my author royalties to a foundation in my dad's name. And my goal was to basically funnel the funds from the book sales into every pet cause of every person who helped me with the list. Because I just felt like that was something my dad stood for, that paying it forward. It was something he believed in. So yeah, that's my goal with it now is, and you know, in that way, the list sort of never ends because it's just, it's going to keep on helping other people fulfill their dreams. The gift that keeps on giving. Oh yeah, definitely. I like that. Well, Laura, I always like to ask my guests, and this is kind of a silly thing to ask you, but what one new thing you've done or discovered <laughs> lately? <laughs> what, what new thing am I not doing? Right, exactly. Do you have a small relatable new thing you yes. could share with us? Of course, of course. I love this part of your show. Thank you. You know, this thing I've cultivated, this habit I've cultivated while doing the list, actually, it started because of being a writer. And sometimes I would just need to get away. Like I would need to go to a hotel for the night just so I could get a chapter done if it was a particularly difficult chapter. And I just did it again for my birthday. My husband gifted me with this night in the nicest hotel in my town. And, you know, some people don't understand that. <laughs> I've had a couple of questions like, well, why didn't he go? You know, and what's, are you guys okay? But I think for women, I don't want to say women of a certain age, but but for women who are very busy and have are trying to accomplish a lot in their lives, I think it's really important that we have an, a night to get away sometimes just by ourselves and just to pamper ourselves. And I don't know. I, I My experience in general is that as women, we kind of put pressure on ourselves to just be everything to everybody. And it really doesn't matter, you know, if you have like 10 kids, you have two kids, you have no kids. If you're married or not, you're still in that. You're still trying to make sure everybody's okay all the time. And you have to look out for you. And I find it's just like, I mean, that's the gift that keeps on giving. If you have a moment once in a while where you can go and spend a night somewhere by yourself. So yeah, that's I think that's my new thing. Well, I like that new thing idea. And I give your husband lots of points for gifting <laughs> that to you. He sounds like a great guy. He is wonderful. I'm very lucky. Well, Laura, I wish you lots of luck with your new book, and I'll make sure I put all the information about that in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor talking to you. And that's it for today's show. A huge thank you to Laura for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes and spread the word about this new show. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance. And thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.